Welcome to the Team Sports Marketing Podcast. This is on Chapter 14, Affinity Transfer and Return on Investment. Welcome to Chapter 14 here with Professor Jason Lee from University of North Florida again. Uh, Kirk Wakefield here, uh, I guess sitting on the Brazos River. You know, sometimes on ESPN when they do a game day, they'll say Brazos, the Brazos River. And I'm going, did you not talk with anyone yeah, we came on the set to find out how they call that river out in front of the stadium because it's not the Brazos or the I think I've heard that most often. You know, it's the Brazos, and we are Jerusalem on the Brazos is what we're often called. Um, so there, so let's get with it. Uh, chapter fourteen: Affinity Transfer and Return on Investment. So those of you might recall previous chapter you read, hopefully before you take the quiz or the exam. But chapter 13, uh, we talked about uh, what makes a good brand recall and what do brands have to do to get good recall. And we talked about, you know, prominently displaying the branded events. I mean, you can't probably see in my background, you know, at the stadium, but, you know, I'm sure just like any other arena stadium you've been to, you know, we've got Toyota, we've got our local grocery store, HEB, and so on. Uh, I think some other dealerships and banks, they're all prominently displayed you know, along the field, right? Um, I don't know, Jason, can you remember, think of some of the brands you see at, at, at your games? Do you have some very prominent sponsors? Well, I, I think a lot of times about going to like Jaguar games yeah. uh, there in town and seeing the different ones. We've had different uh, title sponsors uh, over the years at, uh, with, the, with the naming right, should I say. And uh, so that, that's always been one that's kind of interesting to see how, how that goes through. And then, of course, we have the, the different grocery stores that are the official, you know, sponsors for the given time. And that can change through times or our barbecue chains and, and things of that. So those are a lot of the ones that run through my head. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that we'll do today, we didn't do last time, in case we actually decide to do a video, who knows? Um, we can actually share my screen uh, with what's actually in the chapter. And so if anybody get, does get to see both the video and the, uh, you know, uh, along with the audio, how exciting that is, uh, they can follow along with us. So we talked about prominent displays. We have memorable game day activities. You know, like you see the Pizza Hut, Pizza Delivers, uh, probably every place you go, some pizza, either Papa John's or Pizza Hut, has the rights to deliver pizza during the game. You know, one of the things they did this year, and they started last year, which I think is, well, I was thinking stupid, um, but um, the Pizza Hut fan, uh, pizza delivery during basketball games, they stopped delivering hot pizza and instead just deliver a coupon in a box, in a Pizza Hut box, redeemable at concessions or later maybe even. You know, so you had everybody yeah. yelling for pizza, everybody making their signs, bring me the pizza. And then they get there and the first, gosh, the whole first year they did that, people get the box, open it up and see the coupon and go, what? So it was memorable. <laughs> it's yeah. not positive. Um, and so you communicate with fans, uh, how you can do business with them. I mean, pizza is easy, um, but maybe how do you sign up and switch to Verizon? That's a different question maybe. And then you help build a relationships with data capture so we can send you one more email to your inbox, but hopefully you care about the brand because you care about the team and you actively learn about the brand. 
So Pizza Hut does a good job, I think, through a lot of their uh, sponsorships. And of course, they're the, now the official NFL uh, partner after taking over for Papa John's. So uh, they've done, a, I think, a pretty good job. They're also, you might note in the reading, um, they're the first brand to have the title sponsorship of a virtual stadium for the Madden NFL 20 championship series. So they're playing in the Pizza Hut stadium virtually. It's probably a big deal now if you think about it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty timely to think about that now. So uh, let's move on down. So as you think about sponsorships and why uh, people respond positively, they've got to make some attributions uh, for why they have what we hope to be positive emotions, uh, hopefully not boredom at the game, hopefully more excitement. But when something's exciting, we, we make an attribution as to why that happens. So it could be that the why you're feeling excited is it's more internal or is it external? So are you just feeling good because you went to the game and way, you know, excited and you're pumped about the team? Or is there an external force? Uh, you know, for instance, when we did this first coming up with the ROI measurement with AT&T, uh, they said, we want fans to think that if it wasn't for AT&T, we wouldn't be having such a good time. So part of that's because of the nice stadium or the arena. Um, but the other part of it is whatever they're doing during the game. So is it the sponsor and their actions that are making it exciting or is it just because you feel that way? And is it stable over time? So you think about promotions you see, we have one and my students know I always complain about this. Um, but we have a promotion uh, on floor activity at every basketball game. And it's um, called the, gosh, I need not, now I forget it, but it's a golf shot that if you make a golf shot across the entire length of the floor, you can win $5,000. And it's um, sponsored by a risk management firm. So wealth management, risk management. Well, They've done that now for, I think, the entire time we lived here, uh, at least 15 years. We've been here 18 years. It has been made twice. Okay. Yeah. And only in the last, like, two years. So they went, like, 15 years with nobody ever making that putt because it's practically impossible. Um, and so the question is, is that effect going to be stable over time? Well, people went nuts when the guy finally made it at a girls game last year, I believe it was. And there was nothing, I think, just this year. And people went nuts, but over time, right, it's not very stable. Yeah. Compared to the Schlotzky's. Um, but I actually talked to the guy who did the Schlotzky's three-point shot contest where you make the three shots and you get Schlotzky's for a year. And he said, we want fans to win. Because why? You know, it's going to make it more exciting, right? And you yeah. don't want fans to go, ah, oh, bummer, he didn't make it. Yeah, I've, I've always been amazed at some of those that seem almost impossible or, <laughs> you know, or I, I, it's been yet to be proved to me it is possible. Some of those you're like, that's, that leaves well, people I mean, disappointed. Well, the thing is, if the person makes the half court shot, I don't think you really make that attribution to, oh, thank goodness for that sponsor. You go, wow, that lucky guy. I can't right. believe they made that shot, right? And so to me, it's the wrong attribution. And that yeah. gets to the third attribution, which is control. These are all about uh, what's the source of the emotion that comes from the promotion that's sponsored. So, you know, can that responsible party, Slotsky's or um, 
uh, you know, the wealth management sponsor, can they, they control the cause of the feeling? And are the outcomes likely to be volatile, like I was suggesting, without the sponsor can't control? Um, and so can they control the positive feelings? And if not, it may not be the best thing to, to sponsor. Yeah. Um, yeah. So pizza does a pretty good job of it. You used to get hot pizza. They could manage that. You enjoy eating it. Kids go wild um, uh, and they get their pizza. Um, all right. So those are, that's how, I guess, psychologically these work. Uh, let's get into how it affects your, um, again, your I guess psychologically and how you think and perceive uh, that brand. So when they work, when good promotions, good sponsorships work, then the brand becomes more distinct. We learned that last chapter, right? And their mm -hmm. image and their um, brand becomes more concrete in our minds. Uh, Pizza is a good example for something that's a very concrete brand. You know, like we talk about in the book, I mean, what is it? Uh, they make pizza and it's kind of in a hut, you know, shaped place. Uh, I get what they do. But what is a Verizon? I mean, it has no meaning, right? Uh, by yeah. itself, you don't I, you define ver a Verizon. You have no idea. It's kind of like a horizon with a, ver uh, I don't know. So you put the Verizon with New York Mets, for instance. Well, at least you have some concrete image of, you know, that goes with this thing I very clearly uh, can picture. So yeah. uh, some of y'all follow along at home. So a brand is distinct in the minds of consumers when it stands out from competing brands in the same category. So Verizon versus AT&T, for instance. Uh, from a positioning standpoint, this means the brand image is not clustered close to competing brands. So I think, Jason, you said you teach some branding classes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do a lot of branding components in our sport marketing class. We've got a brand management uh, in sport class coming up this summer. So... Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure you deal with perceptual maps, right? So often in our class, we do some exercises where uh, we have students pick categories and they put them in, um, you put the brands on uh, axis X and Y axis. And if you're the brands up there all by itself, typically upper right corner in a good place, that's what you want. And that's what sponsorships do. Um, and then the concrete brands, evoke clear sensory images in your mind, uh, like I, I was discussing. So uh, the deal is that what sponsorships do compared to other passive mass media, uh, think about it. If you see an ad, and I have one of the example in the book, Ray AT&T trying to get you to not text and drive. I think we'd all agree that's a bad idea, texting and, and driving and so on but you're not really trying to you know, get that information. It's very passive compared to a sponsorship where you're actually engaged with whatever's going on, you know, at the, at the concert or um, if you went to the Super Bowl or oh, the Super Bowl is not too far from you next year, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Where, right over in top I'll, of I'll, Bay. I'm, I am. Yeah, I know. It, it, that's the place right now. Uh, if we can just get sport uh, back and add it. Yeah, they're, they're uh so, I mean, it could be that it's the home team playing. It could be uh, now that you got the Gronk uh, over there, you know, following uh, Brady. Who knows? Could happen. Well, anyway, so the point is, if you're going to a game like that or any game, you're actually engaged with that brand. Some examples I give you in the book, again, are uh, New York with the Verizon at City Field, if some of our listeners 
uh, have been there. Uh, anywhere you see that heavily branded um, you know, area that they kind of dominate. I have some pictures in the book um, that I took uh, from up there in, um, in New York where you can't really miss Verizon, right? I don't know if you can think of any place you've seen, um, maybe in, at the Jaguars uh, or any place else where they have a lot of um, you know, heavily branded areas where you can't miss. We discussed that some in the last chapter. Um, Jason, I've already forgot it. That was all. That was like two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I know. Um, when they did the the big renovation a, a while back at the at Daytona at the Speedway at Daytona International, I know that was a big part of of kind of rebranding things there and trying to. Uh, you know, the Daytona Rising kind of movement and some mm -hmm. of that. And I know like Toyota was a part of that and they had a big presence in there. I remember uh, that really stuck out. We brought a group of students down there and, uh, you know, I, I thought that was a, a really nice touch the way they had that set up. Yeah, well, you know, when automakers, which by the way is a really tough category to break through in people's minds because they're so, um, they're prominent brands and they're all over the place. It's hard for us to really associate carefully, you may be Toyota or Chevrolet with the appropriate, you know, uh, team or whatever. But one of the examples I give in the book that um, actually uh, our friend Greg Bennett down at A&M has worked with them on the Do Action Sports Tour. I mean, that really fits, doesn't it? I mean, that brand personality of the Do and, you know, the excitement, the kind of risk taking, if you will, that goes with that. Their brand personality fits very well with, um, you know, that action sports tour um yeah likely very closely associate those two yeah yeah mountain dude's done a great job with that i mean just you know <laughs> years ago just really changing their whole marketing approach and the whole personality of their whole product you know yeah. but a lot of that's why pepsi has gotten so involved with sports partnerships is because you can get actively and engaged with it so uh, what we typically do when we're measuring return on investment and this is what I do kind of my side biz, if, if you will. And we've adjusted it some since then. Uh, probably in the future, I'll be revising this section a little bit, but the approach is similar. So if you think about an anchor sponsor, whether it's Pizza Hut or whoever it is, uh, you can think about a before and after sort of situation where if they're a brand new sponsor, let's say, like when they took over the NFL partnership was just last year um, before the season started, then you could measure where they were before among NFL fans and then after the NFL season and then see if their the people's attitudes about them change. Uh, the example I give you in the book uh, was one we did a few years ago. Uh, I think that might have actually been with the Mavericks and maybe the Dallas Stars. We did a joint study with them. But we measured whether people thought the brand was exciting, stimulating, and interesting. So basically exciting, right? And what you find is that among those active fans who are watching or attending more often than what do you see? Well, guess what? Tend, it tends to be that they find it uh, better, you know, after, uh, after the season. But what we also found, this was unusual. I don't often find this, but if I remember that year correctly, I think the stars started off to be, uh, they thought they were going to be in the playoffs. Then they just totally stunk. I mean, like didn't even get in the playoffs, which NHL is really hard to do. To, to not get in the playoffs, um, but they didn't get in the playoffs. So actually you see, we saw the bad season rub off on 
the sponsor in that case. But typically what you see is you'll see them do better. Uh, we'll see how they, we'll just hope they come back soon uh, for hockey, for all of our hockey fans out there. Have you yes. been to my hockey, Jason? Uh, not really. Uh, I've never been much of a hockey guy. We have uh, a minor league team here in town that we have a lot of students work with, and, and I like to uh, check a game out here and there, but I've, I've historically not been a huge hockey fan. Well, you might go check it out. I, uh, the deal is, and we know this from the early chapters in the book, if you didn't grow up playing a sport and don't really know the rules very well, don't have high knowledge, not any personal involvement, the odds of you becoming a fan of the team, pretty low. Uh, but if somebody could take you to enough hockey games, <laughs> um, you know, you'd eventually you'd figure it out, what's going on, maybe start liking them. Uh, I enjoyed going to the game quite a bit. Um, I, again, I have to drive 90 miles to, to go do it. Um, so I, I'll say I'm a moderate to above average fan, I, I'm guessing. All right, let's get back to the return on investment. So as anybody with a marketing major knows, uh, you've had the product life cycle. So let's just kind of jump back in there. If you think about it, the brands that are sponsors of your professional teams and your college teams, unless they're a local, you know, new startup, you know, their stage of the life cycle is going to be more mature stage, um, maybe growth, but odds are they're in the mature stage of the life cycle, which means we know who they are. And it means their marketing objectives are not awareness. In fact, when we do student projects, uh, we coach them not to say this, but some will still say it. Uh, when they're you know, speaking to a client, an actual client, they go, we just want to get your name out there. Um, name is already out there. We know that it's AT&T. We know it's McDonald's. We know it's whatever the brand that is. Uh, unless you're a brand new, uh, brand new, literally. Right. Uh, so right. like, like Rakuten is a good example where new in this market established in Japan, but Rakuten on the Warriors, you know, that's their Jersey patch. Right. Um, and then they're also, oh, they're also FC Barca yeah. is on their Jersey. Now that was, again, uh, you could take it by country. So introduction here, awareness important. In fact, I would say most of Jason, you think about it, most of the jersey patches are relatively unknowns and they're doing it to make that big splash and it is kind of awareness. So fine, that's, there's an exception. Yeah. Um, but whoever's name is on the building, right? Um, Chase Bank, for instance, by the way, I was on opening night at Chase, the Chase Center in San Francisco last fall. Um, was really fortunate, went there and talked right. to my buddies uh, who's the senior vice president there and said, Hey, I'm in town. Can you just get me in the building? Um, and I, I'm happy to buy my own ticket if you want. It was going from StubHub, just get in the building about, I don't know, around 200 bucks, I believe. Um, and I was going to do it, but anyway, goes, I got you covered. Nice. I go, and pick yeah. up my go and pick up my ticket, um, at will call and get guided down to my seat. I'm on row four. All right. With, uh, all the food, you know, high-end food and stuff. Um, it was awesome. Anyway, the point is they have their anchor partners, one of which is Chase on the bank. Uh, they have like nine others that are prominently displayed. As soon as you come in the building, they have a huge area. These are our founding partners. Well, those are all maturity, okay? So their return 
is actually that they're looking for often is return on objectives. And they're trying to uh, either remind you, hey, remember us? I think that's often the goal of uh, beer advertisers, which are the largest, you know, one of the largest spenders in sponsorships. It's not like you never heard Bud Light, Miller Light, or whatever your favorite beverage is, which is can tell you all that I don't know. I'm a teetotaler, so I don't care, but they have great ads, man. Um, and they're just trying to remind you next time you're choosing, remember Bud Light and we're fresh, we're crisp. We're the ones with the dilly dilly ads. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the next part gets into something you and I were talking about before we just hopped on here, which gets into this media equivalency approach idea, uh, which I am not a fan of at all. Um, so, I mean, it may be necessary, but so Nielsen ratings and Arbitron ratings for radio, and you can get circulation numbers for print, give you the number of people who are uh, exposed to whatever that sponsorship is. And so there are companies out there, Nielsen, Gum Gum uh, is another one. Um, somebody else told me another one, I keep forgetting what it's called, not outrunning to them as much. Uh, but in some Scarborough data, will tell you that the value that you're getting from the deal is equal to um, you, what it would cost if you, example I used in the last chapter, um, State Farm is on the stanchion of the NBA goals. And you can see it from camera view. They do that top-down view and you'll see State Farm on top of the goal whenever they're doing free throws. And they probably have it some on the um, boards along the um, you know, scoreboard, excuse me, along the um, uh, floor on the side, what am I trying to say? The, um, uh, you know, the, the panel signs. Yeah, uh, the panels, yeah, yeah, panel signs, you know, the official, uh, you know, by yeah. the officials, official scoring table. That's okay. So they'll have, have them there. And so they'll count up the number of seconds mechanically using uh, digital, uh, you know, methods to say, oh, State Farm is in view. Um, and actually, I think it's, this is Repucon, which is owned by Nielsen. Uh, they'll tell you that if it was in full view and it was on for three minutes, if you had bought three minutes during an MBA, national broadcast that would be worth this amount of money so you score big by getting three it's not free minutes they paid for it, but three minutes and now multiply all that out by all the minutes that state farm is in view and you've got something worth you know hundreds of millions of dollars uh so great except for as i point out in the book uh we already know who state farm is and the list of the top spenders from pepsi which owns Frito-Lay and some of the others that you might recognize, and Isaac Bush number two, Coke, I mean, all the way down uh, with maybe the exception of some of the holding companies which own brands you all know, uh, you know who they are. Um, and even the certified members of Tree Huggers of America, which I had to look up, but in case you want to join, it's an alliance of sensible concerned citizens, advocates of reason, rational, and common sense. So if you want to be one, uh, join there. So even they would probably know who these brands are is what I would say. So what do you care how many exposures there were, right? I mean, that's nice, but that's not why people get involved in sponsorships is because they want the passion to rub off on the brand, not just for you to see the brand. Otherwise, just buy advertising. Any thoughts on that, Jason? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. I know um, 
that, that's something I think about a lot in, in class when, when we discuss those kind of things is, is, is to think about these companies that are out there that everybody knows. And, you know, if, if that were your goal is to be known, you're already known. Yeah. Makes me think also one of my buddies that I'm working with named Jack Birch, who does sponsorship sales training. And he and I uh, do some projects together. And one of the things that we're fond of saying is uh, you should measure what you sell. So if you uh, sell a sponsorship and you're telling, um, you know, that we're going to get more people to uh, buy Coca-Cola, if you're a sponsor of the Braves, then of course they're doing it for other reasons, but if that's what you're selling, then you should measure our Braves fan drinking more Coca-Cola. Yes. And what Jack says, and I love this, is it is your moral obligation to measure what you sell. So in other words, if you sell them that, hey, we're going to get more people buying Coke, and then you show them this media equivalency stuff. Oh, look, we got all these people seeing your Coke sign. Oh, okay, in Atlanta, they have seen Coke signs. Just saying. <laughs> you know, born right. in Atlanta, got the Coca-Cola uh, Museum, which is excellent. But that's not the point. You didn't sell them more exposure. You sold them that they would drink more Coke, which, by the way, uh, we'd measure Coke at a number of uh, team, teams and actually find that sponsorship does work. They do drink more Coke when Coke is the sponsor. Um, yeah. Makes me think of Notre Dame, who we're working with. But um, Notre Dame is uh, their third party rights holders. Uh, you all might be probably a Learfield IMG school, I'm guessing. I don't know, Jason. Who does your, um, who owns your marketing rights to university sports marketing? Is it Learfield or somebody else? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. So Learfield has most all the PAC uh, Power Five schools. They have 200 schools. Uh, Fox Sports College has about eight major properties like Auburn, Michigan State, uh, San Diego State, USC. I'm forgetting a few. And then there's some uh, mid-level uh, companies where our students might think about working. I may have mentioned this yesterday or the other day, um, but Peak Sports or Van Wagner Sports, um, maybe there's one other that out there that does kind of mid, mid-major colleges. But they're the ones that are uh, selling the sponsorships for the colleges. And then what I was saying is Legends, which is the joint venture between uh, the Yankees and Cowboys, they also are third-party rights holders. They're often the ones that are selling the new stadiums, like in LA. Right. Um, and selling all the tickets, and they're also setting up the partnerships. We were talking about, though, at Notre Dame. Coke is one of the major partners of Notre Dame, which is interesting because you think about it. Notre Dame is really a global brand. It's the fighting Irish, right? <laughs> um, and so they're actually thinking more. It's not just up in Indiana, where my daughter is. Uh, living in South Bend, along with Mayor Pete, um, and uh, her husband's getting his PhD at Notre Dame. So all to say, uh, so if you think about it, if you're marketing for Coke, and let's take Notre Dame or any other um, team that they are sponsoring, what you want to have happen is that um, fans are uh, not just recognized as a sponsor, you want them to be um, you know, exposed and recognize the effective activation elements. It's not just Coke is on the, somewhere on the scoreboard. It's that people are trying Coke maybe, or like I think I mentioned the other day, 
at Taylor Swift, they hand out concerts, they hand out uh, free Diet Coke, they hand out free Diet Coke straws with Taylor Swift's name on the straws, and that was apparently really popular. So that's the activation yeah. piece. You want them to make positive attributions about the brand because thank goodness if it weren't for Coke, we wouldn't have you know, as good a time at the game you know, drinking our, our soft drinks or down here in the Southwest, it's Dr. Pepper. You've probably seen the Dr. Pepper ads all through your sports uh, programming. Uh, is Dr. Oh, Pepper yeah. big around there, Jason, or not? Yeah, yeah, Dr. Pepper's pretty popular, yeah. Yeah, and so then as a consequence of that, of the partnership, then that brand, Coke, although we kind of get that Coke is sharing happiness and that's their brand message and we get that, they do a great job of making that clear in our minds. But for something that's more nebulous, like a Verizon, it really helps make that brand more concrete uh, and more distinct in, in the minds of fans. So um, we have a few more details you can look through uh, the kind of review where we've been on, on sponsorships, but let me have our listeners think back and maybe Jason, you can recall back when you were in science class and what you did to do experiments. I have a little picture of um, uh, an individual, a couple of individuals doing their science experiments where, and this is a real one I looked up, you can read it on the, in the text uh, there that I'm not making up an experiment where they uh, found out whether or not if you put um, teeth, uh, you know, like real teeth and put them in soft drinks and they found out that guess what it really does remove the enamel from your teeth so maybe we don't want to drink so much coke sprite dr pepper and they actually included you i don't even know that's that's even sold anymore uh, but you do the experiment right put the teeth in in soft drinks of yeah. your choice and then put one just in water and then compare you know the corrosive effects so apparently soft drinks is kind of like battery acid, just FYI. Um, all right, so that's really what we do in our measurement. So what we do is, um, part of this is what um, I've got in the chapter and then I'll give you a little bit of extra insight on what we're doing in our research we do for teams. So uh, we know that brands care about the brand equity elements we have outlined in the book, which are brand knowledge, brand esteem or regard, we sometimes call it. Uh, that's really whether I like the brand. Do I hold the brand in high regard? Do I like you? Uh, do I find you relevant to my life? So like insurance is not relevant. We don't care about it. Generally, it's an unsought good. I just did a call yesterday with a um, large insurance agency for the Packers. And we were talking about that's exactly what sponsoring the Packers does. It makes insurance relevant. Otherwise, I don't care. Um, so then that differentiates the brand. And if you're different and I find you relevant to my life and I like you and I know about you, then I trust you more. And then if I do all those things, if I know you, I like you, I find you relevant, you are different from others, you're distinct, and I trust you, guess what? I prefer that brand or even people, right? If, if I, yeah. I mean, Jason, if I, I mean, I do, I know you, I hold you in high regard. I find you relevant because you care about sports marketing. I mean, you use our book, awesome. Um, you know, that differentiates you from other losers who don't use our awesome book, kidding. Um, and then, well, not really. And then, uh, and therefore I trust you, right? And so we're hopping on this call. And then I prefer to spend time with you. Think about that students. I mean, isn't that true for you and just who you hang out with? Odds are, 
right? Otherwise, you're not a very good judge of character. And then, right. um, and then if you prefer it, then that's the brand you use. That's who you hang out with and spend time with, and you're loyal to them. And then that net promotion or net promoter score, which we have in the book, and I use occasionally um, in my own research, it's that word of mouth. So I think that's interesting to think about how important that is. Uh, I often ask my students, I don't know if you've done the same, but um, it also applies to the gospel. I'll point that out. If you find a movie or something, uh, music, you go to a concert uh, or you hear a new album, like I just heard the latest uh, 21 Pilots new song. Um, I think it's a level of comfort, a comfort level. It's great. Well, what do I just do? I tell everybody else about it. In fact, I sent um, a couple of my friends, my daughter and one of my friends said, hey, check out the new 21 Pilots song. Well, why? Because of all those preceding things, right? That I think about 21 Pilots and that new song, which one of the great lines is something like, will you be my quarantine, my, my little quarantine? Anyway, it's kind of funny. Uh, well, the point is like, we see a great movie. Oh, you've got to see 1917 or whatever it is. Or let me tell you about the gospel because it's awesome. It's good news. Um, so those are all things that we know brands care about. And whenever I'm doing um, presentations to brands on the behalf of teams, I'll stop and ask them in their agencies and say, do y'all measure these internally? You know, I'll have a deck and I'll have these listed in front of them. And I'll say, do you measure these internally? And they go, yeah, we do. In fact, I was on a call yesterday with uh, that insurance company. And they go, yes, we measure those internally. We've done that for, you know, 20 years. And I'll say, now what's most important to you? And they go, we really think relevance, differentiation, and trust are really important. We always track that. All right, great. So wouldn't you want to know, back to our little experiment, wouldn't you want to know if, say, Jaguars fans have better attitudes toward the brand and use that brand more than those who aren't Jaguars fans. And then further, wouldn't you hope that those who made the connection between the sponsor of that NFL team closest to y'all or your college team, wouldn't you think they would even be more likely, you know, to own insurance policies, you know, by the, for the sponsor uh, or maybe just drink more Coke or, eat more Pizza Hut or whatever it is, right? Right. Um, and all that's based on how effective their communications are. So what we do, uh, we just find out first, does the, well, we measure all these brand elements. Then we ask, uh, is, let's take State Farm and American Family Insurance. Like, this is a good example, by the way. Uh, so Packers, the official sponsor is American Family Insurance. You might know of another player for the Packers that's associated with an insurance company, also with Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs, but anyway, so Rogers, right? So right. Rogers has ads all over the place for State Farm. Um, and what we find though is if fans make that connection and see that they're a sponsor of um, the Packers for American Family Insurance, you see many more of Packers fans own insurance policies with American family and State Farm with Rogers, nothing. It just stays flat the whole way in our little charts we show them. So that's the kind yeah. of control, right? In fact, um, makes me think, I don't mind doing a little uh, promotion here if I can uh, get back to my thing. When we were talking about this, um, 
well, I'll skip it. Anyway, I had an interesting background of Lambeau Field, uh, which would, would be nice. So those are return on objectives using the control and compare approach. And that's much better, as you might guess, than that media equivalency or ME approach. The reason I also use the ME is because for those people, it's all about me. I mean, it's easy if I just go, oh, look, I have this uh, sponsorship and we've got a value of $30 million and I only paid, let's say, $5 million for a major anchor deal. And look, I'm getting a great return on my investment, but we don't know if people actually did anything. In fact, that's another point I think, Jason, I think is interesting. So you see an ad for Pepsi. Are you a Coke or a Pepsi drinker, Jason? Coke. If you drink, okay. Uh, I used to consume large quantities of Coke Zero. Uh, I stopped a few years ago, but so I'm a Coke fan, not a Pepsi fan. But maybe you're a Pepsi fan. Uh, somebody, you know, whoever's listening, at least probably half of you are, who knows. All right, so if you see, let's say you're a Pepsi fan, but you see a Coke ad, let's say at Notre Dame, like I was saying, and Coke's a major partner of Notre Dame. Um, how are you going to respond to that? You saw it. You saw all the Coke ads. You all of a sudden say, you know what? Forget Pepsi. I'm drinking Coke. Well, it doesn't work like that, right? Um, but you'd think over time, if Coke is effective, for those of, uh, of us who aren't maybe hardcore Pepsi fans, right, then you might get a few switchers. You'd probably get Coke fans to drink even more Coke, and then we could measure that. Um, so again, just having the brand in front of us, uh, I think of that also in sneakers, you probably have a few sneaker heads in your classes, I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, had one last year, uh, with students, he's graduating in May and I think he has a couple hundred pair. He used, a lot. <laughs> he used to work at Nike. So he kind of had the inside, uh, scoop on getting the new cool ones and he always yeah. wore different cool ones to class. Uh, so, but you think about that, if you're, uh, a, uh, sneakerhead and you love Nike is just seeing Adidas ads or, um, Under Armour going to make you switch. No, but maybe an effective campaign might. So maybe you see Steph Curry wearing Under Armour gear and then maybe you start becoming a Warriors fan, then maybe. Uh, so I give you an example in the book of the affinity transfer model and how it works using net promoter score, if you will, as the dependent variable. And uh, they were, I don't know if they still are or not, uh, but they were the um, official sponsor of the Mavericks and the Stars, and we did this study a few years ago. And what we show uh, is that uh, the more exposure you get and the more passionate a fan you are of the team, then the sponsor not only gains compared to those who you know, didn't see, um, you know, their sponsorship and don't make the connection. Um, but they also gain compared to, you know, their competitors, in this case, Remax and Keller Williams at the, at the time. And I see this again and again in all the research that we do for um, now a couple of dozen teams. And I think this year we measured 165 brands, Jason. And we see the same effect, but it's based on the number of assets that the brand has with the team. So if you know, think about what you see coming into the stadium or just take the stadium that's behind me, right? So okay. there's um, names on the gates. Often, you know, wherever you enter, there's usually a name on that. So somebody sponsored that. You go in, you see all the stuff on the concourse. Right. Then you sit down and there's stuff on the scoreboard. There's stuff around 
you know, the field, then they have in-game activities, which are all sponsored. Right. You know, we have Chevy, I think Chevy does a sponsorship and kids ride little motor, motorized uh, cars in a race in the end zone every game. And they win, I don't even know what. Um, and then uh, we have HEB is our grocery store. Anytime we get inside the red zone, then it's the HEB red zone. And so there's a lot of in-game activities. By the way, one of the cool things they've done on that, even on the concourse, there's an HEB red zone line at the 20 yard line up in the concourse. So as you walk through the concourse, you go into the HEB red zone, you know, on each end of the stadium. Yeah. Right. So there's all the stuff in the game, but then there's also advertising on TV, advertising on radio, so the broadcast. Then you've got your digital on the website. Um, and yes, we're still not taking sponsors on ours. I've actually been asked, would, would brands, brands have asked me, could they advertise on my website? No, we're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> and then um, on social, which you're seeing more brands with these uh, teams sponsoring, you know, co-sponsoring something on social media. Then you have the events like uh, what we would be doing today for draft day. You'd be having some sponsored, probably are some still, but sponsored draft day events. So experiences, events. Right. So what we find out is that the more fans see of those different, um, you know, assets, including the use of their marks, you know, and their broadcast and their advertising, everything else they use, say the Jaguars brand on there uh, or the Baylor Bears brand on there then you see all these things go up and that's called sponsorship lift. Um, the one I have in the book is just based on recall of the sponsor. Okay. So what's the bottom line? Bottom line is you can do this for whatever objective you have uh, and see, do the, use that uh, control and compare approach. We started doing this more recently with, um, we have four customized things we can do for each brand and measure. Uh, and usually it's on meaning or money. So take brand meaning. I mentioned um, Bud Light. So Bud Light wants people to think that it is fresh and crisp. So we can measure that versus the other beers. And what we find is fans of, say, the Texans are much more likely to think that Bud Light is fresh and crisp, which personally, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> um, crisp beer, okay. You break it right off. Um, well, but we can measure that. So whatever they want to measure, great. You just use that same approach. But what you don't do is just show them a bunch of metrics of, oh, look, you know, uh, all of our fans, 800,000 people attended uh, NFL games, which is about right for NFL team. But 800,000 fans, they saw it. And we had this many people watch us on TV. You know, we drew a... 3.0 or whatever um, on TV. So all those fans saw your name. We got your name out there. Yeah, it means nothing Yeah. Um, to speak of. Some brands really like that, so great. Um, but hopefully you've got it in your heads out there, sports fans. Uh, you'd rather use the con uh, control and compare approach and measure their return on their investment and their return on objectives. But Jason, that's all I have. Do you have any closing thoughts or remarks? I mean, I'm glad you're here for me to bounce uh, something off, uh, you know, my ideas and thoughts too. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think there's a lot of good stuff there. And I, I, I think, as you said, winding it up, I mean, really focusing on uh, ROI and ROO, uh, 
you know, don't, don't overlook that when, when you're looking at this, that, those are important. Yep. And in fact, I'll share a special uh, insight for our fans that are here. I'm going to have to go to my, I just posted this today on some research that we did and found out that uh, we did a national poll with a um, thousand people just got the results in this morning and found that uh, we asked this question. It's coming up. Come on, baby. Uh, so we asked, compared to the before the pandemic, will companies need to spend the less, spend less, same or more on consumer research to justify sponsorships of sports and entertainment? Okay, so compared to before the pandemic, do we need to spend more uh, on consumer research to do just what I just explained in chapter 14? And I broke it down by income levels. And in this national poll, 30% had household incomes north of 100,000. Nice work if you can get it, uh, students. You'll be there eventually, we hope. Um, but we found that uh, the vast majority of those believe that it will be, uh, you need to spend at least as much, if not more, 40% of those who would probably be in a director, uh, VP, or higher level, you know, people making over 100,000, who are going to be making the decisions about sponsorships or at least in business, they understand business. Um, they, 40% uh, of them thought they'll need to spend more on research to justify your sponsorship spending after the pandemic. And the reason that is, it's just like whenever we had the um, real estate and the bank uh, fiasco in 2009, and you had a lot of banks who were sponsors of buildings, you know, stadiums, and they had to really justify why they're doing that. So they spent more on research and brands had to justify their sponsorship spending more uh, after that crisis. Well, we got a crisis on our hands and they're gonna need even more data to show that it's worth it. So um, I think that's gonna be uh, the trend line there. Well, Jason, that's all I have. That's, that, that's interesting, yes, yes. Yeah, so check it out. Wakefield Research Partners, LinkedIn. We post infographics. Uh, usually twice a week based on research that relates to brands and uh, sponsorships and fans in general. So check it out. Thanks, Jason. I think that's uh, all we have. All righty.